Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Today, I want to pick up from where we left off last week. As you know, last Sunday was Easter, and uh, I love Easter Sunday. It's the opportunity to celebrate the whole reason for our faith that Jesus is alive, and without the resurrection, we wouldn't be here. None of this would matter. But the problem with Easter is that it's just kind of one day, it comes and it goes, and we enjoy our bank holidays, and then we kind of go on with life. And I feel like that is, uh, you know, I feel like we're missing something a little bit with that, because, you know, like with Christmas, we've got you know, the, the, all the buildup for Christmas, you know, all the anticipation and Advent. And we have time to, if, you, if you're a, a follower of Jesus, to, to reflect on the wonder and the mystery of the incarnation of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And so when Christmas arrives, I feel like your heart's kind of ready for it. But with Easter, I mean, there's Lent, of course, and Lent helps prepare our hearts for Easter. But I feel like sometimes we just kind of, we hit Easter, we celebrate, and then we move on to the next thing. And I think that's that's a mistake because there's so much to, that. you know, this is the central foundation of our faith, as I talked about last week. And so to, to rush on past it and not to take time to really let the, the wonder of the resurrection sink into our hearts, I think we, we miss something. And even today with the news that I shared earlier about Terry, you know, this is a day to think about the resurrection because it brings hope into our hearts again. And so today I, I want to just reflect some more on Easter because, you know, a lot of us, when we think about Easter, we think, you know, rightfully, I think that, you know, Jesus is risen, the tomb is empty, and that's, that's Easter. And that's true, that's a part of Easter, but actually if you read the Gospels, they all tell us a lot more about what happened that very first Easter. In fact, we're told what happens Easter afternoon, we're told what's happened, what happens uh, Easter evening, and we're told what's happened in the days after that. So the Bible gives us quite a bit more information about that. And today I want to look at one of my all-time favorite stories in the Gospels. It's uh, in Luke 24, and it's what happened on Easter afternoon. It's the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And I love this story because I think it shows us something about Jesus's personality. Do you know that Jesus has a personality? I mean, I, I think the, the problem with, you know, historical figures and stuff is that you can, you can no, memorize dates and think they live from here to here, and you, you can learn some facts about their life, you can maybe read their speeches, but, but it's hard to really understand that these were real people with quirks and idiosyncrasies and, and different things about them that made them wonderful or challenging, just like the rest of us. But I think when it comes to Jesus, this is especially true. We struggle to see Jesus and his real personality because I think, honestly, like a lot of the religious artwork seems to kind of work against you. You, you have these like paintings of Jesus that are kind of like this, you know, where he's sort of this like, you know, uh, kind of monotone, uh, you know, kind of emaciated, mysterious-looking guy. He's, he's like looking off and looking off into realms unknown. He's making enigmatic gestures, and he just kind of looks like, well, not necessarily somebody that would be fun to have over for dinner, right? You know, he just kind of, you know, this sort of deadpan, and, you know, it's not somebody that maybe you'd want to take to a football match. Uh, you can't imagine really this guy having a really good joke to tell. 
You, you can't really imagine him coming up with a really witty pun, you know? And I think this sort of religious fog is sort of draped over Jesus, but Jesus had a personality, and we know this for so many reasons. I mean, just read the Gospels, and you can, if you just kind of read between the lines a little bit, you can see this was a dynamic individual. I love uh, three of the Gospels tell us the story of Jesus after he invites Matthew, the, the infamous tax collector, to follow him. He's like, and we're going to have a party at your house. And so they go to his house. They have this big dinner party, and it says that there were other tax collectors and disreputable sinners that joined them. Now, do you think that they just got dragged along to the meeting by the other disciples and said, hey, you got to sit here and listen to Jesus while Jesus just kind of scowled at them and, you know, Mr. Killjoy, Mr. I'm above it all, Mr. Look at all these sinners, you know? Like, is, is that what, what was going on there? I don't think so. Because if you read, the, Jesus had this reputation for being a glutton and a, and a drunkard. And, and I think he got that reputation because he knew how to have fun. I think the people that were at those parties wanted to be there, even though they weren't the religious types. I think Jesus was really happy that they were there, that his lost sheep were coming home. I think Jesus was really fun to be around. I think he knew how to tell a joke. I think he, he knew how to laugh and have fun. I don't think he was Mr. Killjoy. I think he was probably the life of the party. But my point here is that Jesus has a personality. And if we can actually move past this kind of religious, uh, uh, ghost-like mystic that we're often, we often conceive of him as, um, we, we, then we begin to see him for who he really is. Because if this is all we know of Jesus, is this, if this is what we think of, then it affects how we relate to him. It affects how we read the Gospels. It affects, you know, our, our, we just we kind of think, well, he's just sort of different. He's sort of other than. And therefore, and of course, he is all those things, but he's also fully human. And when you get Jesus' personality, you just love him all the more. And that's my hope for you today as we talk through this story, that you'll come out of this actually loving Jesus more, able to relate to him more easily than perhaps you could before. Now, the story that Luke tells, uh, you know, that we're going to look at today, it comes right after the account of Easter morning, you know, where, where uh, Mary Magdalene and some of the other women, they go to the tomb and they find it empty, and then, boom, two men appear in dazzling clothes, it says, and, and they said, hey, why are you looking for the dead among the living? He is not here. He has risen. Now go and tell the other disciples. And so they take off, and they go running, and they come back to where the disciples are huddled up and hiding from the authorities, and they say, look, we went to the tomb. He's not there. We saw these angels. They said he's alive. And the disciples are like, what? Nah, that can't be right. And so Peter and John, they get up, they run to the tomb, and when they get there, what they find is that the tomb is rolled away, the, the stone that covers the tomb is rolled away, and inside are the linen cloths that they had wrapped Jesus in when they buried him, but there's no body there, and, and no angels there, and they're just like, huh? You know, it's like that, you know, the kind of hands up emoji, I think if they could text at that time, they're like, well, there's no body here, but we don't know what this means, you know, where is it? And so... As, as they walk away from there, puzzling, pondering, bewildered by what's happened, Luke shifts the scene now to Easter afternoon. And we pick up the story with two of Jesus' followers. Now, these aren't some of the, the, the 12, you know, the 12 disciples. These are, um, these are two, well, only one of them is named, two of Jesus' other disciples. Now, we talked about in the series that we did last autumn 
that Jesus didn't just have 12 disciples. He had hundreds of disciples in all likelihood. People that followed him for a period of time were told about the 12. We know about them. But, but there were many, many, many more that followed him. And here were two of them that had also been following him. We only know the names of one of them. His name's Cleopas, and then his companion. Now, we don't know who his companion is. Was it a friend? Was it a family member? Was it his spouse? I don't know. But all we know is that they had come to Jerusalem, and they had witnessed the events of Good Friday, and they had seen Jesus perish. And so, let's pick up the story in Luke 24, verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking from, to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. Okay, so I want you, like a lot of us are familiar with this story, but let's, let's try to look at it with fresh eyes this morning. You got to imagine, now remember that, uh, that the, uh, the whole events of Easter weekend happened during Passover. That's the, the big festival that the Jews celebrate, you know, when they left Egypt, is commemorating all of those things. And so what a lot of people would do is they would leave their, their villages where they lived in Israel, and they would come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover in the holy city. I mean, I guess it's kind of like how a lot of people go to London to celebrate New Year's or something like that. They're going to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And then Passover happens on Friday, Saturday is the Sabbath, there's no traveling on the Sabbath, and now it's Sunday, everybody's headed home, everybody's going back. They've had their, their bank holiday, you know, and now, now it's time to head home. So these guys are on the journey there, they're walking along. And then you got to think about their mental state at this point. They've got to be in a state of shock and grief over what's happened. I mean, their rabbi, who they believed was so much more than just your average rabbi, had been brutally murdered by the Romans and the religious authorities. And the whole movement, the whole Jesus movement that had looked so promising for so long had just come crashing to a halt when Jesus died on the cross. And these disciples had been following him. They'd put their hope and their trust and their faith in him. Can you imagine how shocked they felt, how disillusioned they felt, how confused and disappointed and just full of sadness and grief. And, and not only that, I think there was a good deal of fear that they might have had. And the disciples were, were holed up in some sort, of, uh, 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 some sort of bolt hole, you know, where nobody could find them, where they hoped the authorities couldn't find them. But I imagine these disciples, they thought, well, if they went after Jesus, surely they're going to go after his followers. If, if the religious authorities that killed Jesus are, are still, you know, they're the ones in power. If they killed him, surely they're going to come after us as well. So I imagine they were fearing for their lives and for their friends' lives, and they're trying to get out of Dodge as quickly as possible. So this is something that, you know, they, they were weighed down. They were afraid. They were confused, and they're walking along just doing what you and I would do. They were processing. I thought he was the Messiah. I thought he was the one. I thought this was the one that everybody had been talking about. But, but from, in their minds, it was over. It was all over because Jesus was dead. That's all they knew. But then something happens that on the surface wouldn't have been that unusual. You know, a man comes up and says, hey, can I join you? It starts walking with them. Now, this wouldn't have been very unusual because Jews, especially pilgrims going to Jerusalem and returning home, they would travel in convoys and, you know, in, in caravans together. And this was really for everybody's safety. Traveling in those days was not safe. There are lots of bandits on the road. Lots, it's just a better idea to travel together. So somebody just coming up and walking along with them, that wouldn't have been that unusual. What was exceptional about this situation, though, was the identity of this stranger. And Luke tells us who it is. He says, 
As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. Well, this is interesting. So Jesus just strolls up and says, hey, can I, can I walk with you guys for a bit? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, that's such a weird way of doing things. Like, why would Jesus do that? I would think Jesus would be like, hey, it's me. Hey, I'm back. Tell the world, everybody, rejoice, I'm alive. You would think that's how Jesus would show up, but he doesn't. He just kind of slides in incognito. Like, what, what is going on with that? You know, he, it seems as though this is a supernatural concealment, that their eyes were kind of blinded to the fact that, that, of who it was that was walking with them. And this wasn't the first person that didn't recognize him either. Earlier in the morning, we're told in John that, that Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene, one of his most devoted followers, and she didn't recognize him at first either. She thought he was the gardener in the area where the tomb was. And she's like, Lord, she's like, sir, tell me where you have moved my Lord. <laughs> and then she realizes it's Jesus, and there's this uh, joyful reunion. But, but what I'm saying is there's, there's something different about Jesus. There's something that people don't immediately recognize about him. And then, if that weren't enough, Jesus just starts walking along with them, and he starts playing dumb. This is amazing. Look at this. He says, he asked them, what, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. What? Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in all Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that happened there the last few days. <laughs> Jesus' response is amazing. What things? <laughs> I just, I can't believe Jesus didn't have a smirk on his face as he said this. Like, what things? What things? Are you kidding me? This is the greatest event in the history of the world. If anybody knew what things, Jesus, it's you. You know what things. You just saved humanity. From their, I mean, you just brought about redemption. You ushered in the kingdom of God. What things? <laughs> I think Jesus was just kind of having fun with these guys a little bit. Listen to what they say. So they say, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all of the people. But our leading priests and the other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. Implication, we hoped he was, but clearly he wasn't. And this all happened three days ago. Actually, go back to the last screen. I want you to notice there that they give two explanations that are commonly given for Jesus. That, that you know, if you're trying to come up with an alternative explanation of who Jesus is, uh, they, people often point to this. They said he was a prophet who did powerful, powerful miracles. Now, that's true. Jesus was a prophet who did powerful miracles. A lot of people, though, think that's it. That's all there is to Jesus. That's what Muslims believe, is that Jesus was just a mighty prophet. And then they give an explanation that we Westerners often use, which is that Jesus was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. I mean, maybe you've heard somebody say that. I believe Jesus was a great teacher. Now, C.S. Lewis just blows that argument apart that no teacher, no good teacher, would teach the kind of stuff that he did. He would either have to be a liar or a lunatic to teach some of the stuff that he did, or if he was telling the truth, then he is your Lord. He is not just a great prophet. He is not just a great teacher, although he was both of those things. He is the Savior, the Messiah, 
that they had been waiting for. So they kind of point to those two explanations. And then they say, well, then, then he died. They, like I said, they thought it was all over at this point. And can you imagine just being Jesus listening to this as, the, as his own disciples are saying, well, you know, this happened, and, and then Jesus was handed over, and he died. And I just, I mean, I imagine he could just hardly hold in his laughter at it. And then he says to him, he says this, uh, next slide. Oh, is this the next slide? Okay, so then some women from, oh, I forgot to read this part. So then some women from our tomb, or sorry, some women from our group, this, a group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. All right, so Jesus, again, he's just listening to this story, and then he responds. He says, then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. <laughs> now, that looks harsh, doesn't it? Does it look like Jesus is kind of in a bad mood right there? Does it look like Jesus is maybe, you know, kind of rebuking these guys? Now, this is the problem with reading stories or reading texts rather than being there in person. You can't see their facial expressions. You can't see their body language. You can't see the twinkle in their eye. You can't hear their tone of voice. I mean, anybody ever got in trouble uh, with a text or an email that you sent and you didn't mean it, but somebody totally took it the wrong way? I mean, that, that happens, and this happens when we read the Bible without kind of thinking about the context and thinking about Jesus's personality. So, let me ask you a question. What kind of mood do you think Jesus is in here? What's that? Playful. Playful. Yeah, that's a good answer. I mean, I mean, is he, do you think he's, he's mad? Because that's kind of how it sounds here. Do, do you think he's annoyed at his disciples because they're just not getting it? No. Uh, you're, you're spot on, Flo. Like, I think Jesus is the happiest person on the planet, the happiest person there's ever been. I think Jesus is jubilant. I think he's relieved. I think this huge trial that he was about to go through has now been, has now been completed. I think he's in a good mood. I think he's overjoyed. He is happy. So when, he, when you read this line, I don't think Jesus is saying it as like a rebuke or a condemnation. I think he's saying it with laughter in his voice. He's like, oh, guys, you foolish people. Do you find it so hard to believe all that the, people, the prophets wrote in the scriptures? Do you find it so hard? Come on. And then he goes on. So, so I think he's laughing. There's joy in his heart as he says this. And he says, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through all the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, this had to be one of the best sermons in history. I would love to have heard it, but we know that they're walking seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, so I imagine it was a very long sermon, probably longer than they could record, but I would have loved to have heard it because they, they talked about it later. It said, weren't our hearts burning within us as he was saying these things? But I don't want you to miss something here. Jesus is pointing to the Old Testament scriptures and saying, hey, this all points to me. And I think this is important for us to hear because sometimes, I mean, I know you probably don't struggle with this, but sometimes I read the Old Testament and I'm like, what? What? I don't understand this. How does this apply to my life? How does this, what is this saying? And, and I love how the Bible Project puts it, that the Bible 
is a, what does it say? It's, it's a, a unified story that leads to Jesus. The Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And they're basing it off of this passage that all throughout the scriptures, you find descriptions of who Jesus was, you find predictions about what he came to do. Now, of course, not every line of the Old Testament has something directly to do with Jesus, but every book, if you look through it, has things or has a theme that points and leads to Jesus. So when we read the Old Testament, if you're confused, if you're stuck on things, step back and just think, hey, this whole thing is pointing me to Jesus somehow. How does it do that? That's the filter that we read the Old Testament with as believers. So, Jesus is explaining this to them. I mean, again, this is a sermon I would have loved to have heard, but it takes them a while, and it picks up here. It says, by, the time, by this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. I love this. Jesus acted. All you thes- Jesus, the thespian, all you actors and actresses out there, Jesus has, has, has jumped into that world a little bit. I love that Jesus is like, oh, you know, well, sorry, guys, sorry for your loss. I hope it all works out, but I, I got to get going. See ya. And they're like, no, 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 no. Now, of course, the hospitality is a huge value in this culture, and so they would have been expected, especially as night is falling, they've had a long journey, to invite this, this other pilgrim to stay with them. That is, uh, hospitality is a high value in that culture. So I don't know if Jesus is just trying to be polite here, but I love that he's like pretending like, well, all right, guys, well, nice chatting with you. I got to go. And they're like, no, 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 Jesus. Or they didn't know it was Jesus. They're like, sir, stay with us. Stay with us. So he's like, oh, okay. All right, sure, I'll come in. And, and they go in and tells us what happens next. It says, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. It's like Bilbo at his party of special magnificence, you know, puts on the ring, boom, he's gone. Everybody's like, oh, you know, like, can you imagine what these guys were thinking as, they, as this happens? They're sitting there. He's like, you know, blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who gives us bread, breaks the bread, and poof, he's gone. Oh my gosh, now his seat is empty, the bread is there, and they're like, ah, and they realize who it is. They, I think the moment Jesus prayed that prayer, they, there's something about the way he did it that was the tell, that they knew only Jesus could have prayed that way. And maybe it was, you know, the symbolic moment where he breaks the bread and gives it to him, symbolizing what he'd just done on the cross, his body had been broken and given for them. I don't know if that's exactly, but whatever the reason is, these guys, I mean, their jaws are on the floor, and they're looking at each other, and they're like, I knew it. I knew it was Jesus. And look at what they say next. They're like, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Now, <laughs> now that passage there, that's not talking about heartburn. They're not like, oh, boy, I had too much to eat last night. Somebody give me an antacid. Uh, that, was, that was, no, they're talking about the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And they, they, they were like, our hearts were burning. We should have known it was him. Because I expect that means every time they'd heard Jesus teach and preach before this, they had felt that same burning heart sensation that identified. It was something unique. Something about the way Jesus taught caused their hearts to burn, whereas all the other rabbis, it wasn't the same way. This is the same thing that 
You know, people early in Jesus' ministry, they're like, what is this authority that he has that none of the other rabbis and chief priests and elders, what, that they don't have? It's that burning heart. It's the conviction and the authority and the anointing of the Holy Spirit that, that is coming on, on uh, Jesus' teaching. Now, just out of curiosity, this wasn't just something that happened in Jesus' time. This still happens today. How many of you have felt the burning heart sensation, whether it's in a sermon or when you're reading the Bible or when you're praying or when you're talking to somebody and you know the Lord's using them to speak to you, quite a few of you. This is one of the ways that God identifies like, hey, I'm speaking to you now. Listen up. Pay attention to what is being said. You, you won't always, this won't always accompany the word of the Lord to you, but this is something that often you know, God will use to just say, hey, sit up, take notice. I'm speaking right now the burning heart. And so these guys, they're like, we knew it. It was him. It was that burning heart thing. I was feeling it the whole way. And I was wondering, like, I thought only Jesus did that. But now, but now this guy, who is this guy? And now, wait, it was Jesus the whole time. And so they're, they are excited. And so they get up and they head back to Jerusalem. They said, and within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples, because Judas, of course, had uh, 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 made some different choices, and the others who had gathered with them, who said, this is the other people telling these disciples that had been on the road to Emmaus, they said, the Lord is really risen. He appeared to Peter. So here we, somehow, in the middle of all this, Jesus had appeared to Peter. Now, we're not told in the Gospels what that encounter was like. I imagine for Peter, it was such an emotional thing and such a personal thing that he didn't really Share. He just didn't want that recorded for all posterity, but somewhere between his appearance between appearance to Mary Magdalene and his appearance to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he had also appeared to Peter. So they're getting excited. They're getting hopeful. Hey, maybe he really is alive. Mary's seen him. Now Peter's seen him. And then these two people burst in. They're like, guess what? And then they tell the story. They said um, how they told the story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking bread. Now, <laughs> they're hearing the story, they're excited, and then it goes on to this next turn. It says, and just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking that they were seeing a ghost. Now, you have to remember, these guys are holed up in this hideout because they're terrified that the Jewish authorities are going to find them and kill them, just like they just killed Jesus a few days earlier. They're terrified. I imagine all the doors are locked, all the shades are drawn. They are whispering to each other, kind of telling the story, and all of a sudden, poof, Jesus appears like he's taken off the, the, the one ring in Lord of the Rings, and there he is. This doesn't indicate that he just kind of snuck in while nobody was looking. He just appeared to them. So what is going on with this? Like, why is Jesus like disappearing and reappearing? There's something about, the, this is, I think, showing us something about the resurrected body that's promised to all believers. Now, Jesus is very much real. He's alive. He's, he's, a, he's a physical, he's physically alive, as we'll see in a minute, but there's something about his resurrected body it has capacities to do things that, that the laws of science and nature won't allow us to do right now. So we're getting a little glimpse of somehow the fact that you can, you can just disappear, that you can reappear, that you can be, you know, conceal yourself while talking to them so people won't recognize you. Really, really interesting. So 
These guys, they're holed up, they're terrified, and all of a sudden Jesus appears, and I love that Jesus is like, peace be with you. <laughs> of course he had to say peace be with you, because these guys were freaked out. I mean, I imagine they all like jumped and screamed and yelled, and, he's, and we're like, wow, they thought the ghost of Jesus had come to visit them. And then I love what Jesus says next. Why are you frightened? Oh my gosh, Jesus, seriously, why are you frightened? You've just like, you know, snuck up on everybody and said boo effectively. And he says, why are your hearts filled with doubt? Because they're like, no, that can't be Jesus. We just saw him die. And then he, point, he, he reassures them. He says, look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. And I imagine they were touching them as well. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. I love that. You know, they're starting to get it now. They're excited like, oh, maybe hope beyond hope. This whole thing is better than we imagined. And he's here. He's back. He's not dead anymore. Then he asked them, you have anything here to eat? Like, hey, I, I've just, you know, accomplished the salvation of all mankind and I haven't had anything to eat since Friday. Anybody got a snack? I'm really hungry. And so, they, so they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. <laughs> so Jesus is proving to them he's not an apparition. He's not a ghost. They're able to hear him talk to them. They're able to talk back to him. They're able to touch him. He's able to eat a snack. I mean, he is proving to them, look, guys, I'm not just a, a ghost. I'm not a vision. I am alive. And yes, it's his resurrected body, and there's something different about his resurrected body, but Jesus is alive, and he's making sure that his followers know this, and he's reassuring them that they're not just imagining this. This isn't just a hallucination. This is the real thing. So what is the point of this story? I mean, what do you make of this? Jesus' actions, you know, it's John Eldridge who, I, I love, he writes about this in his amazing book, Beautiful Outlaw, that I highly recommend. He, he asks this question, he's like, you know, if Jesus' behavior is either A, just straight up bizarre, or, or B, maybe it's meant to like drive home some obscure spiritual lesson that, you know, which given the timing of this, like this is the first thing that he does after the resurrection, is really, really strange. Like why would he choose then to just kind of teach this like obscure uh, uh, spiritual lesson. Or see, as Flo said early, earlier, maybe he's just simply being playful. Maybe Jesus is in a good mood. Maybe Jesus is so happy that he can hardly contain himself. He's almost like enjoying playing pranks on his own disciples. Now, that might seem mean, but, but you know, when you have a best friend what do you do? You, you joke around with them a lot. There's like shorthand. All you have to do is say like one word and you can both like, you know, bust up laughing. You have, you know, in our family, we have things that we will just say one word, remember that time, and we all crack up. This is the kind of thing that Jesus is doing with his, with his friends. He's going to them. He is, he's actually, play, you know, engaging them in a way that's playful, not weird or mysterious. Jesus is having Fun. He is so, so relieved and overjoyed to have come through this trial and be alive again. He is uh, uh, having fun with his best friends, as you would expect on a morning like that. So, does this change the way that you think about Jesus? A lot of us, we, we conceive of him as somebody that's really serious, somebody that is just kind of scowling at us, noting down every mistake we make 
trying to decide whether or not he should let you into heaven because you're just kind of on the edge, you know? Or is Jesus in a good mood? Does Jesus actually love you? Does Jesus actually delight in you? Does Jesus like to have fun with you? It's like I'm saying, I mean, with your best friends, what do you do? You joke around, you have fun, you, you, you tell, tell stories that make each other laugh, you reminisce, all these things. I think Jesus, he loves to have, have like shorthand with you. He loves to show you his playfulness, his delight in you. You know, recently uh, we were praying for um, a breakthrough with our housing situation. And we prayed a very specific prayer. It's a whole other story that I don't have time to get into. But, but long story short... That prayer was answered like exactly, and I was so blown away that when it happened, I didn't know what to say, and I felt the Holy Spirit say to me in that moment, he said, uh-huh, gotcha. <laughs> He's like, uh, I, I, uh, you didn't think I'd answer that prayer, did you? And I was like, uh, uh, no, actually, I didn't think you were going to answer that prayer. He's like, I called your bluff, didn't I? And I was like, yeah, you did call my bluff. But there was a joy in it, a celebration in it. And, and God was, I felt like, having kind of like a bit of a laugh at my own unbelief. Not in a condemning way, but in a way that let him know how much he loved me. I was reading in that same book that John Eldridge writes, he, he talks about how he was on a hike with his sons, this five-day journey into the wilderness, and not long after they set off into the woods, he noticed uh, there were some moose tracks and droppings that, that weren't fresh, but enough to remind him, he's like, oh, I love seeing moose. For him, it's like a very significant thing to see a moose. And so he, he prayed, Jesus, uh, it, it would be great, it'd be awesome if we could see a moose sometime during this trip, thinking that like, you know, maybe they'd see one like and across the valley that they could look out through their binoculars. And so he's like, Jesus, it'd be great if we could see a moose sometime on this trip. And he said the response that he sensed in his heart from Jesus was just this deadpan, you will, 1,001, 1,002, enter moose. And he looks up, and there's this moose about 60 yards away grazing in the meadow right in front of him. I mean, the, the comic timing of God in, his, in this little situation is just one example of the ways that God loves to play with us. There's a, a line from a, a hymn that says, Christ loves to play in 10,000 pl- 10, places or something like that. And I think he does that. And, and so many of us, we don't think, you know, the, the whole idea that Christ loves to play sounds heretical, but it's not. Jesus is in a good mood this morning. And even with all the hardship and all the heartbreak that's happening all over the world today, Jesus is victorious. Jesus, of course, he grieves with us and he comforts us, and that's a reality as well. But I want you to understand today that part of Easter means that Jesus is alive and he is in a good mood and he loves you and he cares about you and he delights in you and he wants you to know that. And he wants you to enjoy being in his presence, not not in this pious way, but simply enjoying him, enjoying his love for you, enjoying the, the little inside jokes that you have with him. I mean, this is the kind of thing that I didn't grow up hearing about. And I, and I want you this morning to hopefully change that paradigm of how maybe we've seen Jesus as somebody that's, you know, this you know, ethereal, mystical, you know, guy that's just kind of out of it that you can't really talk to. You know, it's, he's saying something significant, but not somebody you can really relate to, to your best friend, to the friend that sticks closer than a brother, because that's who he is. So today, as we close, I just want to pray for you. As a band comes on up, um, you know, like I said last week, oftentimes in church, 
we're trained to be serious. And, and there are times when that's appropriate. But I feel like church more so, especially because of the resurrection, should be a place of joy, should be a place of laughter, should be a place of celebration. And even on a day like today where we're mourning the loss of a dear friend, we can also rejoice because he's experiencing, our friend Terry is experiencing the playfulness of Jesus in a way that that we can only imagine right now. And that's good news. So let me pray for you, and then we'll worship to close. So Lord, thank you that you are alive, that you have conquered sin and death, and you walked out of the tomb with the gates of hell swinging on your belt and the redemption of mankind in your pocket. Lord, we thank you that you are alive, and we thank you, Jesus, that you're not the cosmic killjoy, but you love us. You're the one that invented laughter, and, and you invented humor, Lord. Lord, I thank you, God, that you are a God of joy. Lord, I pray, Father, that that where our hearts are weighed down by the last few years um, and all the challenges that we faced and even the challenges we're facing today, Lord, I pray that the joy of the Lord would fall afresh on us today. Holy Spirit, fill us with your joy. Fill us with your peace. Fill us with the hope that comes from the resurrection of Jesus. And Lord, I pray for the burning heart of your word, God. I pray that that as you speak to us in the days ahead, Lord, we'd, we'd sense that burning heart once again in Jesus' name. Lord, may the joy of your resurrection flood our hearts once again this morning. Lord, we love you and we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.